Thank you everyone for coming today. I'm Fernando, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Patrick and I'm an alcoholic as well. Today I'll be reading from Curse to Change and the One Day at a Time in Al-Anon part two for Tuesday. Oops, sorry, it's leap year. For February 29th, this is the year 2022. I am told that the automatic pilot in an airplane does not work by locking into a course and sticking to it. Instead, it steers back and forth over the path of an assigned course and makes the necessary corrections when it senses that it has strayed. In reality, the autopilot is on course only 5 or 10% of the time. The other 90 or 95% of the time, it is off course and correcting for its deviation. I too must make continuous adjustments. I am much more willing to do so today because I have stopped expecting myself to be perfectly on course. I am bound to make plenty of mistakes, but with the help of the Al-Anon program, I am learning to accept mistakes as an inevitable part of the adventure of living. Today's reminder, I can learn to steer the course my higher power sets by relying on a process of trial and error that includes a willingness to continually make adjustments. Quote, a person who makes no mistakes usually does not make anything, end quote. I'm Fernando Alcoholic. It goes true with our GPS, too, when we put a desire address. How many of us, in the beginning, our GPS, we fought it? And I said, no, I think the uh, Rose Bowl is this way. And, and the GPS is telling me to go right and I go left. And I end up almost being late to our appointment uh, because I took control. And this enables me to understand that, that God is the same thing when I pray for a prayer, that roadblocks and circumstances are, are in the way. And I still must realize that, that God and have faith in God and, and not take the situation back, that God is taking me to my desired place without me sabotaging the process um, that's a beautiful reading for today especially the autopilot that I always say that 95% of failure is what we're looking for because <coughs> once I find that 5% it, it will be what I'm looking for all the time a success is in the 5% Michael Jordan played it, said it this way. He's, <laughs> if it wasn't for my failures, I wouldn't have success. Thank you, Patrick, again. Um, well, um, this is a program like life, actually. It's a program of progress, not perfection, as mentioned uh, in the reading here. Uh, we're not supposed to be perfect, and I was thinking the other night, we're probably wired to be imperfect and make tons of mistakes throughout our life, but uh, this little reading reminds me that, yeah, we do go off course from time to time, but uh, we can make necessary corrections, and I'm quoting, when it senses that it has strayed. Uh, my thing is, is mo most of the time, uh, when it comes to decision-making, uh, sometimes I, I go by gut instinct, uh, and I, I don't know what the, uh, the odds are that, you know, is it 50-50, I'm wrong, 50-50, my gut and my instincts are right, 
Or should I just uh, step back, take a deep breath, and, uh, you know, ask for higher counsel on whatever the issue may be and just kind of pause for a moment, maybe even a day or two before making any kind of decision. Um, as I've made enough mistakes in my own life and I've burnt myself. And um, we were discussing the topic of fear recently with Fernando just a few minutes ago. And one of my fears is going back to that old way of life, just doing things on impulse and uh, wrong gut instinct. So uh, I have learned through the 12 steps in recovery to basically Give it over to God, step back, and let him handle it, and the answers will come. And then, of course, we take action, the right action, hopefully. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go ahead and finish off with the serenity prayer, please. God, God grant me the serenity, serenity to accept the things, things I, I cannot change, change. the courage to change, change the things, things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Amen. Thanks for coming in today. Yay. Greetings, family. Reading for today for Just for Today, Daily Meditations for Recovering Addicts, February the 9th. Self-acceptance. When we accept ourselves, we can accept others into our lives unconditionally, probably for the first time. From our earliest memories, many of us felt like we were never belonged. No matter how big the gathering, we always felt apart from the crowd. We had a hard time fitting in. Deep down, we believed that if we really let others get to know us, they would reject us. Perhaps our addiction began to germinate in this climate of self-centeredness. Many of us hid the pain of our alienation with an attitude of defiance. In effect, we told the world, you don't need me. Well, I don't need any of you either. I got my drugs and I can take care of myself. The further our addiction progressed, the higher the walls we built around ourselves. Those walls begin to fall when we start finding acceptance from other recovering addicts. With this acceptance from others, we begin to learn the important principle of self-acceptance. And when we start to accept ourselves, we can allow others to take part in our lives without fear or rejection. Just for today, I am accepted in the program. I fit in. Today, it's safe to start letting others into my life. I'm Fernando. I'm alcoholic. Um, addict, I guess. I had a hard time with that one, accepting myself, you know. wonder why was I born in this family? Um, why was I born Catholic? How I wasn't born with a new religion? I could start my own. All right, reading Hope for Today, February the 9th. Until recently, I never paid much attention to the 12 concepts of service. They didn't seem relevant to anything in my recovery other than performing service at the World Service Office, a scenario in which just for today, I don't see myself. However, I was so impressed with some of the conference-approved literature I read on Concept 9, which speaks of good personal leadership at all service levels, that I decided to give this particular concept some attention. 
In a world of leaders and followers, I am decidedly a follower, which is just fine with me. Concept 9 tells me that I can demonstrate leadership by following program suggestions, thus inspiring others to follow as well. I ask myself some questions to determine if I model healthy leadership behavior. Have I made commitment to attend specific meetings unless I'm sick or out of town? Do I listen attentively when others share? Do I take complex problems to my sponsor instead of to the meeting? Do I volunteer for service? Am I informed? Do I take part in group conscious meetings? I found that I do well with some of these points and that I have room for progress with others. I'm thankful that Alan raised my awareness about leadership. Concept 9 taught me that I could be a leader in the program even if I don't feel comfortable standing for an elected position. Following my heart and conscience, performing service work, and cooperating with others are all forms of good leadership. Thought for the day. The power of example works through me, even if I prefer to follow rather than lead. Each and every member of Elna has the potential to become a leader. Path to Recover, page 301. Alrighty. Now, courage to change. There was nothing simple about my life before I came to Elanon. My work was highly stressful. My time was always short and my attention was intensely focused on the alcoholic. But I didn't realize I was under a strain. During the early days in Elanon, I shifted from my intense focus on the program as my denial broke, I became aware that I was exhausted all the time. The topic of an Al-Anon meeting, keep it simple, was just what I needed to hear. I decided that the top priority for my unmanageable life was to recover from the effects of alcoholism. I had responsibilities and couldn't eliminate all the stress from my life, but I tried to simplify it wherever possible. In my case, this meant letting go of some social activities temporarily switching to a lower pain but less stressful job and leaving some household chores undone. It wasn't a permanent change, just a way to give myself the time I needed for my emotional and spiritual health. It was such a relief. By the time I returned to my normal schedule, I had a better grasp on keeping it simple, so I was able to handle it more serenely. Today's reminder, I am overwhelmed. I may be trying to do too much. If I am overwhelmed, today I will try to keep it simple. The ability to simplify means to eliminate the unnecessary so that the necessary may speak. Hans Hoffman. Pretty cool. Alrighty, now we got our little book, One Day at a Time in Al-Anon. Would it help my situation to know why the alcoholic drinks to such excess that everything around him is damaged in some way by his compulsion? If he drinks to drown out the pain of shattering childhood experiences, which he does not even identify or remember, how can such pain be located and removed? Certainly not by us. We are amateurs and emotionally involved amateurs at that. 
It would take years and thousands of dollars worth of psychiatry, and even then the outcome would be uncertain. But at least the knowledge that he suffers should keep me from condemning him. Today's reminder. It is enough for me to know that the unhappy drinker can get help in AA, where so many have found content that sobriety. It is enough for me to know I can overcome my own confusion by using the Al-Anon program. Let me conduct myself, my life in such a way that I will have no reason to reproach myself for making a bad situation worse. This, at least, is within my power to make it better. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful reading. I'm Fernando. Thank you very much for coming in today's reading. Uh, just give me, give me one more, and that will be a Melody. Let's see what she has. Uh, enjoying recovery. What a journey. This process of growth and change takes us along an ever-changing road. Sometimes the way is hard and craggy. Sometimes we climb mountains. Sometimes we slide down the other side on the Tubugan. Sometimes we rest. Sometimes we grope through the darkness. Sometimes we're blinded by sunlight. At times, many, many walk within us, walk on the road. Sometimes we feel nearly alone, ever-changing, always interesting, always leading someplace better, someplace good. What a journey. Today, God helped me to relax and enjoy the scenery. Help me know I'm right where I need to be in my journey. Just for today, I will count all my blessings. Just for today, I will get some sunshine and put my feet on the ground and listen to God. Just for today, I will meditate on nature and relax. Just for today, I will clean my house easily and with music on. Just for today, I'll take a walk and get some sunshine. Take care, family. God bless you. Thank you for coming in today's service. Let's go ahead and uh, today's reading. Let's go ahead and finish with the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change those things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Keep coming back, family. It's working. Welcome to today's podcast. Today we're going to be listening to LSG explain chapter 6, step 6 of the steps. She's doing it out of the AA Big Book. Please listen up with your heart and your mind. It's only about an hour. We can do this. Listen up. God bless you. While all go take a walk. Thank you. going on tonight I think I'm feeling I don't know what's up with that it's kind of cool um hi welcome everybody I'm Alice and we're on step six after tonight we will officially be halfway through the steps 
which is a very, very wonderful, wonderful thing. So I wrote some things down for you guys. Um, I got almost no sleep last night, so this could be an interesting <laughs> workshop, uh, depending on how well my brain works tonight. Um, but we'll just plow forward and hope for the best. So the spiritual principles sort of inherent in step six are willingness and forgiveness. Let's just stay, say step six together. So it says we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Got some kind of daunting words in there. Entirely, right? All these defects of character. So we'll jump in and do a little bit of a discussion about that. So uh, willingness is an interesting word. I found this definition of it in a dictionary that I liked. The quality or state of being prepared to do something. Readiness. I like that one. And then a lot of people associate forgiveness with this stuff as well, which I think is interesting. It's an interesting um, spiritual principle to tie to step six. A conscious or deliberate decision. I love those words. A conscious or deliberate decision to release feelings of resentment toward a person or group who has harmed you, whether they deserve your forgiveness or not. Right? I thought that was really interesting. Right out of the dictionary that definition came. So um, it's a deliberate or conscious decision. And I, and I really like that. The dictionary also said, and I thought this was interesting, it does not mean to forget or to condone, right? So if something happens that hurts us, it's not necessarily uh, important at all to forget about it or to condone the behavior. Forgiving someone does not mean what they did was okay. It means you're going to let it go. And forgiveness benefits me, right? I forgive because not forgiving is like taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Like when I hold resentment, fear, and anger inside my body, my mind, and my heart, it makes me sick right? It makes me sick. So forgiveness is another important spiritual principle. I also thought it would be worth talking a little bit, bit we've talked about this before, but talking a little bit about the three A's. Um, Al-Anon, I, um, I own seats in other fellowships. I'm sort of a, uh, what would you call that? Equal opportunity, 12-step person. I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> That used to bother me, but it doesn't anymore. Um, but Al-Anon's the only fellowship I've been in where they talk about these three A's, awareness, acceptance, and action. Um, I think it's worth a visit to those three A's when we talk about step six again. Um, so why do I bring up the three A's on step six? Well, if you think about step one, two, three, four, and five, to me, those five steps that we've gone over in detail sort of embody awareness, right? Like we become sort of profoundly, sometimes painfully aware of um, what our situation really is in step one. 
unmanageability and powerlessness, right? And step two, we come to believe, we become aware that there is a power greater than ourselves that could restore us to sanity. And we kind of come to believe that, right, awareness. In step three, we make a decision to turn our will and our life over to the care of God as we understood him. And then we immediately launch into a course of vigorous action in step four and five, where we do a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves instead of all the other people, which is what I used to do. Uh, and then in step five, we share that with ourselves, God, and another human being. Those steps, if we kind of really walk into them with the intention of really learning about ourselves, we get a lot of awareness. In fact, it says in the big book that by the end of step four, we have digested some big chunks of truth about ourselves, right? For me, as an Al-Anon, step six is where acceptance starts to really percolate. So in, in Al-Anon meetings before, we've talked about how the three A's are in order for a reason. It's really important to have some awareness first. Awareness needs to come before acceptance. How do you accept what you're not aware of? How do you accept what's going on in your life if you're still in denial about it, especially in terms of what your part might be in creating that, right? So this idea of acceptance, I say it's when I allow the first five steps and the work I've done in the first five steps to kind of penetrate me, right? I, I take it in. I allow myself to admit um, what things have been like for me, what my part was, why I need a higher power, where I'm powerless. And I kind of let that soak in. I accept it. I don't defend myself against it anymore. I don't deny it. I don't pretend it's different. I don't blame other people for it. That's a really huge one for me. Not blaming other people for what's going on in my life. So I think acceptance is a crucial part of our recovery and step six is kind of when that starts to happen. Um, we move from acceptance into action and hopefully into action that's different. Because in step six, when we are entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, what we're saying is change me. All right, I, I give, right? Change me. Take away the things that are in my way. Help me to become the person you would have me be. Um, so does that make sense to everybody? Anybody got any questions about that? So what are your character defects? This is an interesting discussion we can have, right? Because um, we've already talked about it a little bit and it can be somewhat controversial. And as I've said before, there's lots of different ways to work the steps. They're all good, right? This is simply the way I was taught to work steps. So what are your character defects? This is a definition that I came up with. Any behaviors brought on by thoughts or beliefs that pull you into anger and fear and away from love. Now, psychologists will tell you that often humans have trouble addressing issues simply on the level of behavior. 
right? And in 12-step meetings, we talk a lot about powerlessness, right? So when I am angry or afraid, I engage powerlessness and I'm not gonna be able to behave differently, right? So the first five steps are designed to help me master resentment and outgrow fear. And then step six comes along right on time, right? And I ask God to help me with the things that pull me out of love and into anger or fear. All human beings have favorite behaviors. <laughs> um, I, you could almost call it chronic, right? And again, neurologist talks about the wiring in your brain where you enter a certain situation, you react the same way, you react the same way, you react the same way. It actually makes a shortcut in your brain that's really easy to go to because it's so deeply embedded in your personality or your psyche or your neurology, right? So learning to react to situations differently takes um, the patience of God, right? One of the things my sponsor says to me that I love is he, he says to me, you've got eternity to do this, Alice. Okay. That indicates, and I love that Chris mentioned that, Barb asked a question a few weeks ago, how do you know you're hearing God's voice? How do you know what God's will? And he said one word, anybody remember what it was? He said, Anybody? Starts with a P. Practice. Practice, right? He said you, you do that with practice. So you're literally using to use, learning to use your brain in a way that's different for you and that takes practice. Um, and we've talked about this too. So if, it's our, if our character defects pull us out of love and into fear and anger, what is love? That might be worth thinking about too. And my favorite definition for the word love is it's the ability to act in my or another's spiritual best interest, right? I like that the Greeks have four words for love. Anybody know that? In, in Greek, there's four different words for love. Uh, there's the word philia, which is about brotherly love. You could think of the city of Philadelphia, right? So philia, there's philia, there's eros, which is romantic love. That's a juicy kind of love, isn't it? And it's a wonderful kind of love for human beings to experience. There's storge, and I forget the definition of that one. I can't remember what that means. But the fourth kind and the one that's used maybe by spiritual teachers more is agape. And that kind of love is a principled kind of love. That's the kind of love you can hold for humankind, right? For everybody. It's the kind of love that is very principled. It's neutral. It's incredibly benign and benevolent. Okay? So um, those are some things I thought would be important to think about when talking about step six. Uh, interestingly, and I kind of don't know why, but it's true. In the big book, there's only one paragraph on step six. Who knew that? Super short, right? Super short. 
So here's what the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous has to say about step six, and it's on page 76, and it's the first paragraph if you want to follow along. So on the page before, right at the end of the discussion on step five, it talks about taking some time, um, and one of the ladies in the meeting last week mentioned that her sponsor encourages her literally to take an hour and go really review the first five steps and ask yourself, um, is our work solid so far? Are the stones properly in place? Have we skipped on the foundation or tried to make mortar without sand? If we can answer to our satisfaction those questions, we then look at step six. We have emphasized willingness as being indispensable. Are we now ready to have to let God remove from us all of the things which we have admitted are objectionable? Can he now take them all, every one? If we still cling to something we will not let go, we ask God to help us to be willing. So if you've got something that you're trying to work on with your higher power and you're not willing to let it go, perfectly appropriate to ask for willingness, right? Here's another statement on willingness on page 124. We grow by our willingness to face and rectify errors and convert them into assets. The alcoholics and the Alanons passed thus becomes the principal asset of the family, and frequently it's almost the only one. And then at the very end of the big book, I like this too, it's right at the end. Um, it's on the, uh, the kind of, I forget what these are called, they're kind of, a, say that again? Appendices. Appendices, good. So it's the one on spiritual experience, and it's right at the end of the book. And I love what this has to say about willingness. It's on the left side toward the top. Yeah, that paragraph, Nancy. All right? Yeah. And then at the very end of the big book, um, it says, we find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program, willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. So um, let's also look a little bit at the 12 by 12 on step six. This is a little bit richer in information on step six. Ah, and I'm gonna change the words at the beginning. Um, this is the step that separates the women from the girls. So, well, you can write an inventory on it. <laughs> you did years ago. Okay. So declares a well-loved clergyman who happens to be one of AA's greatest friends. He goes on to explain, this is really cool, you guys, that any person capable of enough willingness and honesty to try repeatedly step six on all his faults without any reservations whatever has indeed come a long way spiritually and is therefore entitled to be called a man who is sincerely trying to grow in the image and likeness of his creator. So step six is a power step for me. 
you know, when I have enough courage to say, okay, change me, that's a big deal. Help me to become different. Help me to become the woman you would have me be in my life. That's a big deal. Now, again, I'm going to say, when we do a step like step six, we think it's going to maybe feel fabulous, you know, like a good massage or, you know, skipping through the forest with the birds. Um, when I'm really willing to change and I'm really willing to let go of the past, see things different and be differently, it scares me. I, I get scared. So you get to step six. You've done all this work in the first five steps. Please know that you might have to be really gentle with yourself as you move into a place in your life where you're willing to change. And you might become very frightened over letting go of things from the past. I don't know that this is true across the board. I think maybe it might not be. But the, the people that I end up working steps with, when, when they're frightened, so anytime they have an overly emotional response to a situation that's going on, and they're, they're a grown-up, maybe like me, they've been a grown-up for a very long time, right? Anytime they have an overly emotional response to a situation that's happening in current time, that fear and anger is fiery because it's tied to something in their childhood. And that's delicate work, okay? Because when we were children, the things that happened that frightened us badly, that could be said to feel like almost like death to us. It's that big of a deal, right? When our caretakers can't take care of us, when we don't feel safe, when we're not nurtured, um, when we're not loved unconditionally by the people that are in charge, it creates some really deep and funky fear, all right? And when we bump that fear as an adult um, and we're willing to work with our higher power to change it, it's like, I admire people that do that. I just admire them because it takes a lot of courage to walk through that kind of work. The thing that was true for me, though, is the, the things from my past that held me captive in fear really had a big effect on my life, right? Like I couldn't be the person I wanted to be because I kept getting scared, you know? Um, and it didn't always look like fear to others necessarily. It could look like anger. It could look like retreat. I like what Chris said about that. It's flight, fight, or freeze when we're scared, right? Um, I call flight, where's my purse? Um, as in, I'm out of here. <laughs> where's my purse, right? So to walk through this work takes a lot of courage, and it can be more difficult than what we expect it to be. And so to, to tell yourself something like, you have eternity to do this, your higher power's right there, you know, it's important to kind of go into it with that kind of a mindset. All right. So step six, this is on page 65. La la la.
So step six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, is AA's way of stating the best possible attitude one can take in order to make a beginning on this lifetime job, right? A beginning, a few of them, this does not mean that we expect all of our character, this would be so cool if this happened, I think. This does not mean we expect all of our character defects to be lifted out of us as the drive to drink was. So alcoholics, when they get sober, they often have a very miraculous experience with that compulsion and obsession to drink being literally taken away from them. So cool, right? But when we work step six, we cannot expect that that's going to happen with all of our character defects. A few of them may be, but with most of them, we shall have to be content with patient improvement. The key words, entirely ready, underline the fact that we want to aim at the very best we know or can learn. So what I say to myself when I'm in step six when I ask the question, am I entirely ready? And again, usually a journey through the steps, um, when you go through the steps with a sponsor, all 12 steps, it's usually tied to some very specific stuff, right? People show up and they're in, they're in difficult circumstances for some very particular reasons, right? So entirely ready to me means I'm as ready as I can be, right? I'm as ready as I can be. Because willingness is everything, that's enough to make a start on changing our lives by working with God to have those defects of character removed. Then it goes on to talk about um, the seven deadly sins and having those re removed. Um, and then on page 68, it says... It seems plain that few of us can quickly or easily become ready to aim at spiritual and moral perfection. We want to settle for only as much perfection as will get us by in life, according, of course, to our various and sundry ideas of what will get us by. So the difference between the boys and the men, the girls and the women, is the difference between striving for a self-determined objective and for the perfect objective, which is of God. So what that paragraph kind of says to me is we are working in partnership with our higher power here. And we don't go to our higher power and demand, right, that he remove this, 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 and this, right? What we say is, I'm ready. You know best. Let's get started. And I'm going to work with what you want me to work with. And we'll take, we'll, eat, we'll do this the same way you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time, okay? And that takes humility too, because oftentimes people have wonderful ideas about what they may want God to do for them yesterday. <laughs> um, but to be patient, to allow, allow our higher power to kind of call the shots, to work with our higher power on this is really good. Um, another kind of phrase that my sponsor uses with me when we're working with some energy that's, that's difficult, like I've mentioned to you guys that I'm working on my relationship with food right now, something I did not expect to happen really in the 12 steps, but 
because I use food to distance myself from pain, from people, and I use it instead of God, because it tastes better, just kidding. <laughs> and because I use it instead of using the power of God, right, what's become clear to me is it's got to go. So I've been working with it for about four years, and it has been a delicate thing, my friends, um, and it's been frightening for me to work with this, and it's been difficult for me to work with this. But what's happening is um, gradually my relationship with food has changed, and gradually, almost imperceptibly, I'm losing weight, which is a good thing, right? Because I don't feel compelled. I don't feel compelled to eat. My compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors are being taken away from my higher powers slowly and allowing me to let go of something that I use instead of God, that I go to instead of love, that I want when I'm irritated, angry, lonely, or upset, right? So the focus needs to be on my higher power, right? Um, not on the fact that I have the best brownie recipe on the planet, and I'm not kidding about that, okay? So my willingness to do that, you know, I have to be okay. I have to be okay with it going slow. And and I, and I keep bumping up against how slow it's going. Um, and then relaxing again. So my sponsor calls that set up camp, pitch a tent, build a campfire, roast some weenies for me, not marshmallows. <laughs> roast some weenies and chill out my friend, chill out. Stay with it till it's different. Don't quit before the miracle happens, guys. Like, if there's one thing I can say that's helped me more than anything else in the 20 years I've been working steps, it's my ability to stay with it until I'm different. Until I'm different. And then when I'm different, wow. All kinds of cool stuff happens. Does that make sense? Yes. Cool. La 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 la. I'm not gonna sing, really, I can't at all. It would people could would probably leave the room. Um, and then the very last paragraph, it's talking about what our attitude toward change, toward step <laughs> six needs to be. Like I can say sometimes for a limited period of time, I'm not willing to do that yet. I like the yet, right? I'm not willing to do that yet. God, grant me willingness. Help me to be willing. Soften my heart. Soften my mind. Help me to let go of what I think I know and engage willingness so that I can change. And that's what this last paragraph is talking about where it says, the moment we say, no, never, our minds close against the grace of God. Delay is dangerous, and rebellion may be fatal. This is the exact point at which we abandon limited objectives and move towards God's will for us. Okay? I think it's worth talking about that just a little bit. Because what I what's happened with me and other people that I've 
talk to about this, right? As we get willing, we start working some steps, we show up for the process, and kind of uh, the field of opportunity opens up. There it is, right? We've been trapped, we've been stuck, we've been sad, angry, afraid, and not okay in the circumstances we're working with. And suddenly, maybe after months or years of hard work, right, suddenly the field of opportunity opens in front of us. If we say no to that, if we say no never, or if we delay and rebel, that field of opportunity closes back down because the universe says yes to that, right? In fact, the universe always says yes to everything. Right? I say I want more love. I want to be kinder. I want to be a better woman. I want to be different. The universe says, you got it, babe. And here comes the teachers, right, knocking on my door to help me. And people say, I'll help you with that, right? If I go forward in that process, you know, I've had just amazing things happen to me. I have a life now that I can't hardly believe is mine. It's I love my life. I wake up happy all the time. I'm a goofball, right? I, you know, I love my life. Um, but I said yes, right? When that field of possibility opens and we're work, working on some particular things with God, a sponsor, and steps, and change becomes possible, you know, put your foot in the water, right? Um, did we talk about Moses in here yet? How Moses, so I'm not a Christian necessarily, but I love the story of Moses because I think we did talk about it. So he's leading the Israelites out of Egypt and the army of Egypt is chasing them, right? This is a Bible story. They're in the desert and they come up against the Red Sea and the army's behind him. What's going to happen, right? Moses says a prayer, but he puts his staff and his foot in the water, right? He doesn't hold back and say, you know, you do it, God. <laughs> he was like, I'm going forward, right? I'm going to go forward. And the water parted, and they went through on the Red Sea. Whether that's a true story or not, it's a good one, right? It's a good story. So does that all make sense in terms of step six? Yes? Cool. Um... Step six musical references. Um, My Sweet Lord, George Harrison. You know, I love that song. It's very repetitive and very soothing for me, and it's about connecting to higher power. Uh, the Water is Wide by Steve Goodman. That's an old spiritual hymn, and I love his rendition of it. And Alison Krauss has a song called A Living Prayer where she's actually singing about becoming a living prayer for God. And it's beautiful, beautiful. Uh, my husband and I got to hear her sing that at Chautauqua for the first time she ever performed it. And it, I mean, it created a thing in that room. I'm not kidding. It was really, really beautiful. So check those out if you would like to. Um, who knows what time it is? I feel like we're ahead of time. Five after six, we've got 25 minutes. So I'm going to read poems at a snail's place. No, I'm not. Um, 
uh, the three poems I brought for you, I picked, maybe we could even just talk about these poems. So one, is that right? Yeah, sure. What would you suggest like for a sponsor and a sponsor working together to how to do sex sex, like if they're new? I think that the process for step six is, is kind of described at the end of step five, where they really take some time alone and think about the first five steps have they done them thoroughly? Are they ready to go forward? And then with step six, you can read the material as it is in the book and talk about it. Or if they're ready, you can go forward and start working on the idea that God's going to remove a person's defects of character. If you want more information about your defects of character, where can you find that information? <laughs> Who say it louder? Step four, right? So in step four, if you do it with the columns and you've written it down, which is a blessing for me to have that stuff written down, you get an idea in the fourth column of the resentment inventory about what your part is, right? What's your part in this mess? Where did you go off the rails or sideways, right? Candy, can we talk about your inventory yet again? <laughs> so in Candy's inventory, um, concerning not having enough time with her grandson and being angry with her son-in-law, right? Do you remember what your part was in that fourth column of the resentment? Um, it was... Um, being passive-aggressive. Good. Good. Passive-aggressive. I call that filling the house with not the spirit of joy, <laughs> right? I fill the house with this black funky stuff, right? Passive-aggressive. Do you remember anything else about that? Um, yeah, running away. Good. You said you were tempted to make up stories, yeah, right? Yeah. All kind of stories. Yeah. Good, good. So those would be the behaviors, right? In the fear inventory, in the third column, we look at how self-reliance has failed us. Oh, Here's some more behaviors, right, that come out when I'm afraid or angry. And so self-reliance look like, do you remember what self-reliance look like? I'm not sure I can resurrect that. You know, I wish I was on my sheet and the Yeah, but it can look like lots of different things, right? It can, manipulative, gossip, defensiveness right good we talked a lot about that too how when we become defensive with people those people know that right if I mean you can feel it when someone's defensive right right so if you want more information on what your character defects might look like go back to your four-step inventory which you've written out in this beautiful way that's incredibly clear and usually pretty concise and you could actually talk about that with your with the people you're working with. Let's go back through your inventories. Let's see if we find some patterns. Are we gonna find some patterns? Everybody shake your head yes. Yes, we are. Anybody else wanna say anything? Go ahead, Ann. There's another step six um, moment with Moses that I am very, very fond of. So lay it on us, sister. To Moses in a burning bush, and he says, Now, Moses, this is what I want you to do. And Moses is like, bah, 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 bah. And that's where I can get with 
step six. Right. And God says, no, Moses, this is what I want you. And I just think it's hilarious. Yeah. It's hard to move forward when you're frightened. It's it's dangerous not to. It's really dangerous not to. And I, I will say that if my sponsor tells me something that I need to do, and I don't want to do it, what? <laughs> What's your point? Yeah, I don't want to do it. I can find people who will agree with me that I don't have to do that, and that maybe I shouldn't do that. And actually, that might be wrong for me to do, right? It's not so much about right and wrong, Friends, it's not, and it's not about a rule. It's not about right your sponsor being right and you being wrong. It's about you being frightened and your sponsor is not. So the counsel that a sponsor gives you should be and probably usually is neutral. It's not based on fear. Like, friends, I don't have a dog in your fight. I love you guys, but I don't. I don't need your lives to be different, right? So I have a neutral, objective viewpoint on your stuff. And that is really helpful. So it's not even that the sponsor is right, it's that the sponsor's not afraid. And so any direction you get to move you out of fear is likely to be helpful. And if it's not, you guys can get together and try something else, right? You can get together and try something else. I have a coworker who's bothering me right now. Um, I think she's bothering me right now so I can talk about, about it on Friday night with you guys because it's been helpful. So something happened again this week with this coworker. She asked me a really funky kind of passive aggressive question that went something like, I hope you weren't offended by the way I spoke to you in the leadership team meeting, I was just trying to speak my truth. And I was like, huh, <laughs> huh. She was defending herself. Yeah, she, and, and it's okay. But so I was like, is this a question? Is this an apology? Is this an open-ended statement? Am I supposed to say something? So I didn't know what to say, so by the grace of God, guess what? I said nothing. And she didn't even notice, which was awesome. And, I, and out the door she went. And she went out the door, and I wrote another inventory, right? Because God's working with, this woman is a teacher for me right now. And God is working with her to work with me. I did the inventory. I came to the last column that Chris called this beautiful open canvas where you get to write a vision of what your future looks like with God's help. And right out of my pen came again. So I got to that column. I said a prayer and I was like, what, you know, what do you want me to know? Here's what I heard. God said to me, I want you to view this woman the same way that I do. Okay. I know God loves her. I know God has compassion and empathy and joy. She's a little spitfire. Of course, that's nothing like me at all. <laughs> Whatever. Um, she's got a strong personality. She can be a little arrogant. <laughs> 
She's a little bit of a know-it-all. <laughs> you know, she's got my character defects. And, and when I heard that, God wants, I, I want you to look at her the way I look at her. I was like, okay, okay. It was a moment for me. So maybe we're done with this dance, huh? We'll see. We'll see what happens next. More will be revealed. More will be revealed. Yeah. So do you feel like in that you need to pray further to and ask him for help so that you see her the way he sees her? Good. So what I do when I'm having difficulty is I ask God to take away my fear. Okay? In this situation, my fear is that she will affect the way I'm viewed at work. I have, a, I have a great reputation at work. <laughs> Dang it, right? And I want to protect that, right? I don't need to protect that. It's none of my business, right? But that's the fear, that somehow people will adopt her view of me and I'll be rejected or unliked, you know, or whatever at work. So I ask God to take away that fear that I can be harmed at work and then to help me practice kindness compassion right the big book says we treat sick people like they're sick people you know and i'm not doing that with her you know i want to push back right i want to prove she's wrong and i'm right and she needs to be corrected <laughs> all that stuff right okay so it's important to, um, the important thing for me is the behavior comes after the beliefs and fears, right? It is the fear, the anger that triggers the behavior. So if I just say to God, would you please help me to be a nicer person? Whatever. God, please. That's so different to me from saying, okay. I'm afraid. I'm afraid I'm not going to be liked. I'm afraid I'm going to be thought badly of. My ego is involved here. Take away those fears and then help me practice these new behaviors. Okay? All right, cool. Yeah, hopefully next week we won't have to talk about this again. <laughs> we'll see what happens. Um, Anything else that I wanted to remember to talk about? I think that's about it. I have a question. Yeah. So I hear frequently when I take away my fears. Mm -hmm. What's your experience with that prayer? Um, how I hear that is, oh, it's just going to go away. Yeah. To me, that's not authentic. To me, that's not how it works in my life. It's not real. I have to walk through that adversity with God and then the fear is removed because I know I'm loved and cared for and safe because that's really my fear. Yeah, that's beautiful. So I have had, and I think others probably have had too, I've had sort of immediate experiences with an inventory and prayer. Um, but if it's, if it's kind of bumping up against my uh, more entrenched... <laughs> fears and behaviors, I have to just work with it till it's different. And that that takes humility, right? So when I'm having trouble that's kind of not going away very fast, 
and I have my sponsees do this too. I say, write this prayer out and put it on your mirror in your bathroom and put it on your visor in your car and put it in your purse and put it in the book you're currently reading just to remind them to stay with that, right? I also think that if God takes away things too quickly from me, I become more frightened. I am a, I am chicken little, my friends. Like to me, the sky was always falling. Like I was chicken little, the sky was always falling. I was the little red hen, thank you, I'll do it myself, yeah, I'll, whatever. And I was the rock of Gibraltar, right? Had all these defense mechanisms that made me feel safe as a child that didn't serve me as an adult. And it took a long time for that stuff to change. I'm still working with it, right? Dang it, whatever. Dang it, whatever. Anybody else? Okay, so the poems I picked this week, I picked because um, I like this idea that we really get to this place in the steps and we start to change our minds about things, right? So these poems kind of represent thinking about things in a little bit different way to me. Um, and this is called Happiness, and it's by Jane Kenyon, wonderful poet who died way too young. <clears throat> happiness. There's just no accounting for happiness or the way it turns up like a prodigal who comes back to the dust at your feet, having squandered a fortune far away. And how can you not forgive? You make a feast in honor of what was lost and take from its place the finest garment, which you have saved for an occasion you could not imagine. And you weep night and day to know that you were not abandoned, that happiness saved its most extreme form for you alone. No, happiness is the uncle you never knew about, who flies a single-engine plane onto the grassy landing strip, hitchhikes into town, and inquires at every door until he finds you asleep mid-afternoon, as you so often are, during the unmerciful hours of your despair. It comes to the monk in his cell. It comes to the woman sweeping the street with a birch broom to the child whose mother has passed out from drink. It comes to the lover, to the dog chewing a sock, to the pusher, to the basket maker, and to the clerk stacking cans of carrots in the night. It even comes to the boulder in the perpetual shade of pine barrens, to rain falling on the open sea, to the wine glass, weary of holding wine. I love Jean Kenyon. And then, do you guys know Billy Collins as a poet? You don't? Oh my gosh, he's hilarious. He's Irish, so I love him automatically. But he writes really funny, um, quirky, wonderful poems. And this one is called Questions About Angels. Questions About Angels. Of all the questions you might want to ask about angels, the only one you ever hear is how many can dance on the head of a pin. No curiosity about, about how they pass the eternal time besides circling the throne, chanting in Latin, or delivering a crust of bread to a hermit on earth, 
or guiding a boy and girl across a rickety wooden bridge. Do they fly through God's body and come out singing? Do they swing like children from the hinges of the spirit world, saying their names backwards and forwards? Do they sit alone in little gardens, changing colors? What about their sleeping habits, habits, the fabric of their robes, their diet of unfiltered divine light? What goes on inside their luminous heads? Is there a wall these tall presences can look over and see hell? If an angel fell off a cloud, would he leave a hole in a river and would the hole float along endlessly filled with the silent letters of every angelic word? If an angel delivered your mail, would he arrive in a blinding rush of wings or would he just assume the appearance of the regular mailman and whistle up the driveway reading the postcards? No, the medieval theologians control the court. The only question you ever hear is about the little dance floor on the head of a pin where halos are meant to converge and drift invisibly. It is designed to make us think in millions, billions, to make us run out of numbers and collapse into infinity. But perhaps the answer is a simple one. One female angel dancing alone in her stocking feet, a small jazz combo working in the background. She sways like a branch in the wind, her beautiful eyes closed, and the tall, thin bassist leans over to glance at his watch because she has been dancing forever, and now it is very late, even for musicians. So I love that that kind of, I love the humor, you know, the humor about it all, right? Like, I'm so guilty of taking myself astonishingly seriously a lot, right? But we're, you know, we're supposed to, we're supposed to, happy, joyous, free, right? That's what we're aimed at, happy, joyous, free. Thanks, Nancy, for remembering that. So, you know, some humor about God, some humor about your life, a little bit of lightness of heart when you take on these difficult things and you have just enough courage, right, to take yourself through the steps with a sponsor and change what needs to be changed. And the last poem I'm going to read to you is by Veronica Patterson. And it's called The Angel of Quandaries. Angel of Quandaries. He sits on a log fence, I think, in a field of October corn stubble, a leg and a wing on each side, or he swings them one side to the other, but he won't get down. The mountains loom to the west, he waits for new snow, and Kansas flattens east. It has rained for longer than usual, but this morning sun shines like reprieve, and because it lights each stump of a stalk like crystal, he lies down very carefully along the log, a wing draped either way, touching the earth for balance, and he sleeps. I sleep and know him. He dreams worlds on the inside of my eyelid until I'm afraid to open my eyes. Blood moves through the thinnest flesh, and I see the smiling of cells and a woman stands alone at a window. Clouds build and stretch and leave, bursts of light. Tiny bodies weave naked through the reefs of vines. 
angel of tomorrow. Slowly we lift our left wing. We know what we must learn, but there is no direction, no hurry. How could there be a hurry? So in that poem, the writer becomes the angel at the end, right? They become, they become one. And they say there is no hurry, which is true. You have eternity to do this. Did you want to say something? I brought you the manifesto. The manifesto. Oh, Brene Brown. Oh, cool. What time is it? Oh, she's good. What time is it? Is it time to quit? Do you know what time it is, Ian? Let's read this. Do you want to read it? You want me to read it? Okay. This is cool. So this is by Brene Brown, who I love. Manifesto of the Brave and Brokenhearted. There is no greater threat to the critics and cynics and fear mongers than those of us who are willing to fall because we have learned how to rise. With skinned knees and bruised hearts, we choose owning our stories of struggle over hiding, over hustling, over pretending. When we deny our stories, they define us. When we run from struggle, we are never free. So we turn toward truth and look it in the eye. We will not be characters in our stories, not villains, not victims, not even heroes. We are the authors of our lives. We write our own daring endings. We craft love from heartbreak, compassion from shame, grace from disappointment, courage from failure. Showing up is our power. Story is our way home. Truth is our song. We are the brave and brokenhearted. We are rising strong. Wow. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for bringing that. That's awesome. Okay, anybody else got anything they want to say? Cool beans, thank you all for coming. Much appreciated. Next week, step seven. Down the road we go, right? So let's close with a prayer. Um, read seven. That would be good. Welcome to today's Elanon reading for the 5th of February. Let's open this meeting with a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer, please. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Our shortest slogan, think, can be very helpful. However, as with most tools, I need to use it with care and reason. As I heard it set around the rooms, my best thinking is what got me here. For me, thinking too much or in a negative way is almost as dangerous as not thinking at all. Obsessive thinking can be my symptom of this family disease as much as obsessive drinking is the alcoholics. It has been occurred to me that I might 
be better off if I could get licensed to think safely. Meetings are the closest place I've found to safe thinking training grounds. This slogan is intended to help me think, think before I act, think, making sure my actions are well thought out, not impulsive, compulsive, or reactive. I need to remember, though, that the slogan is not think, 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 think along the lines of easy does it, but do it. It sometimes needs to expand the scope of this slogan, think in moderation, think and pray, think out loud with a sponsor, think and feel, ponder, ask, ask for the right thought or action, thought for the day. Think is an invitation for clarity, not endless rumination. God help me to think, but not too much. God help me to receive instructions from him. I have a program that helps me to make sense of my mixed up thinking and feelings. That's taken from Elatine, a day at a time, page 14. And that was uh, in our next reading for February 5th is, and it's a beautiful day today. It's nice and sunny. I'm out in the front yard. I've got some smashed up almonds for my friends, which are the uh, the Blue Jays that will come to the table and they know me, they grew up with me. I was under the tree reading when they heard my voice while they were being in the egg and they know my smell and stuff and they get excited when they, they come back to the nest and they're, hey, this is where I grew up. Here's where I was born. Okay, today's other reading, another book says, when the student is ready, the teacher appears, says the Sen Buddhist. Or, as speakers put it, we each get here on right on time. To me, this is an important reason to have a public relations policy based on attraction rather than promotion, as the 11 tradition suggests. My own arrival in Helena was right on schedule. I first heard about the program when I was a teenager. I attended my first meeting 20 years later. I don't regret that lapse of time because I don't think I would have been ready to come to Elnon any sooner. I spent those 20 years resenting any implication from well-meaning family members that I had been affected by alcoholism. Only after many years of living with the effects of the disease did I really become ready to get help. No amount of nagging would have hurried me along any faster. Today's reminder, there is no magic wand that can make others ready for Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. It is the presumptuous to assume that I have a better idea of their true path than they do. Let me help those who want help. When my life improves as a result of working the program myself, I do more carry the message that I ever could by forcing it on others. Let me not dilute the effectiveness of the help I can give by letting it take the time of giving advice. I know I will never have enough insight into another's life and to tell that person what is best to do. The dilemma of the alcoholic marriage. Let me not dilute the effectiveness of the help I can give by letting it take the form of giving advice. 
I know I will never have enough insight into another's life to tell that person what is best to do. Beautiful, beautiful, wonderful readings. Our next reading is intriguing. It's right on. It's called, As I uncover and face my own shortcomings, my many good qualities will be revealed to me, too, reminding me that they have the same reality as my faults. Let me appreciate them, for they not only offset the faults, but give me a foundation on which to grow. If I recognize that I am kind, tolerant, generous, honest, patient, let me delight in these constructive qualities. They make it possible to accept myself as a friend. They are mighty allies in eliminating the shortcomings that are roadblocks to my serenity. Today's reminder, it is just as self-deceptive to discount what is good in us as to justify what is not. This is false humility, which is a hampering as arrogance. The purpose of examining our characters with as much honesty and detachment as possible is not to exaggerate guilt for what we lack, but to use the good to overcome the faults. Let me learn to understand myself first that will occupy me so fully that I will have no time nor thought to analyze and criticize the compulsive drinker. Let me learn to understand myself first that will occupy me so fully that I have no time nor thought to analyze and criticize the compulsive drinker, the compulsive thinker, or the compulsive complainer that constantly complains and whines um, about you or the program or their lives. Yep, there's not much you can do enjoy your life and we are enjoying I'm going to be reading a few uh, excerpts from a book called God Calling A.J. Russell it says oh let me hear thee speaking in accents clear and still above the storm of passion the murmurs of self will I speak to reassure me to hasten or control Oh, speak to make me listen, thou guardian of my soul. Nothing is by chance. Divine mind and its wonders working is beyond your infinite mind to understand. No details forgotten in my plans already perfect. All sacrifice and all suffering is redemptive to teach the individual or to be used to raise and help others. This is uh, our higher power speaking. It says, another start. Our higher power says, take courage. Do not fear. Start a new life tomorrow. Put the old mistakes away and start anew. I give you a fresh start. Be not burdened. Be not anxious. If my forgiveness were for the righteous only and those who had not sinned, where would it be its need? Remember, as I said, to whom much is forgiven, the much love it much, same love it much. Why do you fret and worry so? I wait to give you all that is lovely, but your lives are soiled with worry and fret. You would crush my treasure. I can only bless glad, thankful hearts. 
You must be glad and joyful. Practice love. Watch over and protect us. Want of love will block the way. You must love all, those that fret you and those who do not. Practice love. It is a great lesson and you have a great teacher. You must love. How otherwise can you dwell in me where nothing unloving can come? Practice this and I will bless you exceedingly. Above all, you cannot only ask, but imagine. No limit to my power. Do all you can and leave to me the rest. Peace will come and trust. Fear not. I am your advocate, your mediator. If men oppose, only believe the walls of Jericho fell down. Was it axes or human implements that brought them down? Rather, the songs of praise of the people and my thought carried out in action. All walls shall fall before you. There is no earth power. It falls like a house of paper at my miracle working touch. Your faith and my power, the only two essentials, nothing else is needed. So, if man's petty opposition still holds good, it is only because I chose it to let it stand between you and what would be a mistake for you, if not a word, a thought. From me, and it is gone. The hearts of kings are in my rule and governance. All man can be moved at my wish. Rest in the certainly, rely on me. Drop your crutch. Just go step by step. My will shall be revealed as you go. You will never cease to be thankful for this time when you felt at peace and trustful and yet had no human security. This is the time of the true learning of trust in me. When my father and my mother forsook thee, then the Lord will take thee up. This is a literal dependence on me. When human support or material help of any kind is removed, then my power can move, become operative. I cannot teach a man to walk who is trusting to a crutch. Away with your crutch, and my power shall so invigorate you that you shall indeed walk on to victory. Never limit my power, it is limitless. You shall know. Walk with me, I will teach you. Listen to me, and I will speak. Continue to meet me in spite of all opposition and every obstacle. In spite of days when you may hear no voice, and there may come no intimate heart-to-heart telling. As you persist in this and make a life habit of it, in many marvelous ways I will reveal my will to you. You shall have more sure knowing of both the present and the future. But that will be only the reward of the regular coming to meet me. Life is a school. There are more many teachers. Not everyone do I come personally. Believe literally that the problems and difficulties of your life can be explained by me more clearly and effectually than by any other. God's Longing To the listening ear I speak, to the waiting heart I come. Sometimes I may not speak, I may ask you merely to wait in my presence, to know that I am with you. Thinking of the multitudes who thronged me when I was on earth, all eager for something, 
eager to be healed or taught or fed. Think as I supply their many wants and grant their manifold requests what it meant to me to find amid the crowd some one or two who follows me just to be near me, just to dwell in my presence. How must, how some longing to the eternal heart was satisfying thereby. Comfort me a while by letting me know that you would seek me just to dwell in my presence, to be near me, not even for teaching, not for material gain, not even for a message, <clears throat> for, but for me. The longing of the human heart to be loved for itself is a something caught from the great divine heart. I bless you. Bow your heads. And now, a time for meditation. Please relax. Put your feet on the ground, preferably the grass, barefooted. Take in the sun and let the Lord love on you. Love on Him. Love on your higher power. Relax. He's got it. He promises. He'll take care of it.
readings of today is the um, the Al-Anon traditions, tradition one. Takes on a new meaning for me when another member share their interpretation that unity includes coming to meetings even when life was going well for her. Her insight helped me look at meetings attendance as both an act of unity with other members and a commitment to my own growth and well-being. In the beginning of unity, purpose meant I could come to a room full of people who accepted my irrational thinking. They offered me an encouraging hug rather than telling me to shape up instead of rejecting me for being different. They showed me how alike we all are by sharing their experience, strength, and hope. Through these types of healthy encounters, I began to feel a bond with other members. I felt united with them through common experience. As I worked my program, I became more unified in my own mind, body, and spirit. Now, unity of purpose means it's time for me to attend meetings, not just for what I need, but what, what I can offer. How else will newcomers know there's an end to their suffering if I and other members in recovery don't show up when things are going well? How will they learn that they too can smile again if they don't see our smiles? What about the longtime members who slip and forget the help available to them until we offer it? I might need this type of prompting something sometime myself. When I come to meeting during my good times, others are reminded that whatever their problems, there is help and hope in Elnon. Thought for the day. As Elnon leads me to peace and serenity, I increasingly become an example of, to struggling members that such a life is possible. Reaching out gave me a new perspective in our common welfare. Wow. When I got busy, I got better. My best thinking and my best efforts proved insufficient to the task of restoring me to sanity. My life had been completely unmanageable. In the program, I heard that a power greater than myself could bring order into my life. I began opening my mind to the possibility. To me, step two is all about hope. It's the process by which I became become free from whatever problem is bothering me. It gives me something else to do, somewhere else to go when my life becomes unmanageable. I learn to look beyond myself for answers. Coming to believe is a process for me. First, I came to believe that others have faith and that their belief in a higher power somehow makes a difference in their lives. I can see peace, love, and happiness in many of the people at meetings, and I yearn to possess those qualities myself. Gradually, my mind opened to the possibility that, that I, too, can experience serenity. Eventually, I became willing to believe. But even that comes in stages, plenty of time. I need to ask my higher power for the willingness to be willing. Finally, I believe. Exhilarating flows through me. The door to a new reality opened wide. I realized this revelation is just the beginning. I am not restored to sanity in an instant, however... Step two gives me hope I can be healed because I know, now know, and believe in the source of all healing. My higher power is there for me once I choose faith 
sanity, and healing for my life. A thought for the today. The phrase, came to believe, reminds me that faith is a process, not, not an event from which sanity arises. And the basic spiritual principle introduced in step two suggests that there is a power greater than we are that provides hope for sanity, whether we are living with active alcoholism or not. The alcoholic was obsessed with alcohol, and I was obsessed with the alcoholic. I watched, monitor, control, and exercised my need to feel hurt. I felt self-pity, embarrassment, superiority, resentment, and anger. All of these took obsessive turns, filling my mind and heart. I wonder why I indulged in these draining behaviors and emotions, which had only resulted in further misery for me. In Elanon, I begin to realize that the wretchedness and gloom, although familiar and comfortable to an extent, were optional. Serenity is possible with changes in my attitude, expectations, and responses. Today, I want to exercise my option to be happy, to feel calm and good. One of my favorite ways to turn my attitude around is to apply the slogan, How important is it? How important is it? I closed my eyes and began to look at my situation in a large, maybe even universal context. First, I imagined my little apartment and then my town. I visualized my state and then my country as if on a map. Then the whole world comes into view. If I need to, I even extend my imagination into the planetary universe and the Milky Way. I think of all living beings in this great big world and I ask myself, how important is it? The larger my world becomes, the more my problem and I shrink. In the grand scheme of things, what am I dealing with usually is not earth-sharing. This visualization made me to realize how important it really is so I can relax and enjoy the pleasant things in my life. Thought for the day. Sometimes happiness and serenity are a matter of perspective. Saying how important is it can help us to be cool under stress. That way we can see and save energy for the first things, for the things that really matter. Concept one, the ultimate responsibility and authority for Elanon World Service belongs to the Elanon groups, lays out clearly the source of accountability for Elanon. Other legacies describe how the groups can best exercise this accountability in this way, there's a match between what is expected at the groups and their capacity to meet the, these expectations. Ellen as a whole can move forward with confidence. Concept one teaches me that I am an individual person separated from human beings, and as such, I have no responsibility for authority over them. I still have people in my life who want me to take on their responsibilities. However, Ellen helps me to make clear delineations between what does and doesn't belong to me. It also gives me tools such as detachment, live and let live, step 10 and keeping focus on me to help me keep those demarcations clear. Such a match between expectation and ability were missing in my alcoholic family. Authority and responsibility were often misplaced. 
I can remember as an adolescent after meditating my parents' drunken fights thanks to Elanon, I knew I now I knew ending their fights was not my responsibility. As a child I simply didn't have the authority to do so. I also remember my alcoholic father once suggested I had caused the breakup of, of his second marriage. I didn't know better at the time, so I took on the guilt of that allegation. It took me a while in the program before I understood that the success or failure of a relationship depends on the particular par- parties involved. Thought for the day. Just because someone tries to throw off his or her responsibilities my way doesn't mean I have to catch them. My program helps me detach from what doesn't belong to me. Concept one shows me where my responsibility is. Alrighty. Intriguing writings written by Elon members from all over the country. Food for thought, folks. Food for thought. Read a couple more here. After working Elon's 12 steps zealously for over a year, I was despondent over my continual lapse into self-pity and resentment over the alcoholic's inability to give me the emotional support I wanted. One evening during a meditation on the sixth and seventh step, these words seemed to flash in my mind. We were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character, and we humbly ask him to remove our shortcomings. I suddenly realized that much of my zealous working of the program had been the exercise of my own limited power. With a new and sincere humility, I asked God to remove my shortcomings. When I saw the alcoholic the next morning, it was as if a veil had been lifted from my eyes. I saw her suffering, struggling to stay sober, and I had compassion for my own struggle as well. My self-pity and resentment were gone. I wanted to be ready for shortcomings to be removed, and I will do what I can to prepare I can develop a non-germental awareness of myself, accept what I discover, and be fully willing to change. But I lack the power to heal myself. Only my higher power can do that. And the dilemma of the alcoholic marriage is I accept the fact that I need help in being restored to sanity and that I cannot achieve this without help. Living with alcoholism, I learned that plans could change at any moment and that the rules varied accordingly. I developed a deep mistrust of everyone and everything because I could, could count on nothing. As a result, I have often found myself jumping at any opportunity without thinking it through. Behind my action was a sense of desperation. I better grab this now. This may be my only chance. Elna showed me a different approach. I can live one day at a time. I can base my choices on what I feel is right for me today rather than on what I fear I might lose sometime in the future. I can think before I react to my fears and remember that's easy does it. If I feel unable to do something today, I trust that there will be another opportunity of it sometime I mean I am meant to do. It doesn't have to be now or never. All or nothing. 
Today, I don't have to be limited by my own fears. Instead, I can do what seems right. I do not have to follow every suggestion or take every offer I receive. I can consider my options and pray for the guidance to choose what is best before me. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, There is a guidance for each of us, and by lowly listening, we shall hear the right word. Place yourself in the middle of the stream of power and wisdom which flows into your life. Then without effort, you are impelled to truth and to perfect contentment. Amen. The word of the Lord. Oh, the word of the Lord. I thought I was reading my Bible there for a minute. I'm dozing off. One more reading. I thought that if I stopped enabling the alcoholic in my life, the drinking would stop. When the drinking seemed to get worse instead of better, once again, I thought I had done something wrong. I was still trying to control alcoholism and its symptoms. Elon helped me to learn that I am powerless. I cannot stop an alcoholic from drinking. If I choose to stop contributing to the problem, I do so because it seems to be the right thing to do something that will help me to feel better about myself. When I change my behavior, the behavior of those around me may also change. But there is no guarantee that it will change for my liking. Today, I am learning to make choices because they are good for me, not because of the effects they might have on others. It is hard to stop acting as I have in the past, but with Elna's support, I can be the one to break the pattern. I can choose to do what I think is right for me. And Jane Seymour said, Have you have to count on? You have to count on living every single day in a way you believe will make you feel good about your life. Jane Seymour. Beautiful, beautiful story. Okay, I said one more, but one more after this one, one more, okay? Taking the first step is not a matter of reading the words admitted we're powerless, but of impressing them so deeply on our consciousness that the admitting will be established as a part of way of thinking and feeling. We may read and repeat this step hundreds of times and still fail to use it in the way we think and act. If we really accepted the fact that we have no authority or power over any other human being, we would not so try to compel the drinker to do what we wanted him to do. Have I attained the frame of mind? Can I make it myself let go of the problems? Today's reminder. I will look back upon all things I have done to make the alcoholic stop drinking. Has it produced one iota of improvement to scold, weep, complain, accuse, reason, appeal, or threaten? Am I any better of today for indulging in those futile gestures? Is the drinker any closer to sobriety or in a situation worse? I pray for the wisdom to, re- to realize that progress being, begins only when I am ready to detail myself from the idea that I, that I alone can control and solve another's problems. Again, I pray for the wisdom to realize 
that progress begins only when I am ready to detach myself from the idea that I alone can control and solve another person's problems. Beautiful, beautiful reading of the Elon material. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. My name is Eric, and I'm an alcoholic. Um, and uh, let's see. So I guess if anybody wants to try to remember my name, I go by Eric with a K. It's a four-letter word that ends with K. Uh, I've been named other four-letter words <laughs> that end with K, such as jerk, and uh, there are a few others. I'm sure you guys can fill in the rest. And uh, I did earn those name titles over the years as a result of my drinking and uh, truly grateful to be sober and of sound mind today. Uh, my sobriety date is, oh, I forgot to start my timer. My sobriety date is August 22nd, 2018. And my home group is a group of guys uh, here in the Glendora area. They call themselves the Sick, Lame, and Lazy. I think these guys are so super cool. There's a lot of elders in the group. Uh, I'm, I'm privileged to meet with them twice a week. It's a Monday, 12 to 12, and a Wednesday big book. And I definitely want what these guys want, so I find myself these days uh, dressing up a little bit like them. I show up to the meeting early like them. I shake everybody's hands before the meeting like them. Uh, I kind of attribute it to like uh, being a kid. Uh, when I was a little kid, I loved Pete Rose. I wore my Cincinnati Reds hat, I tried my batting stance like him. I didn't become Pete Rose, but I totally idolized these guys and a lot of great gentlemen to look up to. Um, <clears throat> my story is not a fascinating one. There are no car chases or jail time, uh, divorces or anything like that, but uh, thank God I came to the decision when I realized that all of those things were going to happen in just a matter of time. Uh, my uh, first drink or drunk was at the age of 13. It was at my uh, grandparents' house. for We had yearly Passover Seder, which is a three-hour ceremony. And for a little kid, it can be a pretty long ceremony. But in Judaism, uh, at, at the age of 13, you're a, you become a man. And uh, so I was allowed to drink. And I just remember having a really heavy head. And I remember tilting my head back and it was, uh, it was not life-changing, it was not amazing, it was uh, a little bit disturbing. The interesting thing was when uh, the next year, at age 14, they did not serve me alcohol, and I was really, really upset and pissed off inside of my head. But, you know, back in uh, 1979, uh, <laughs> we were still taught to respect authority and you don't talk back to your elders, and so I just held it in. Then at age 15, I got to drink again, and uh, it wasn't really a big deal. At age 16, I did it, so it became an odd number, even odd-numbered kind of thing. But by the age 16, uh, my friend down the street was breaking into neighbors' houses, and we were stealing uh, champagne bottles and beers out of their fridge. Uh, I was the lookout, so uh, that, uh, that I was able to justify it in my own mind that it was okay. He was doing the wrong. He was doing the wrong. Uh, anyway, so... In uh, high school, 
you know, there, there are a few mishaps. I uh, started, uh, you know, I found the, uh, the, the store uh, outside of town that would sell alcohol to uh, anybody who had money. And uh, so it's like I got my car, my mom's car stuck in the mud once and, uh, and a few other things. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. All right. On to the, on to the next part. On to the next. Um, so I was always able to manage my drinking it, it, to the point where it was still fun. Uh, I, I, I could say when. You know, I could say when. I could say, okay, I'm buzzed enough. Uh, I got to get home. Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know all of that. As an alcoholic and later in life, it was, I got my buzz on and I got to keep it on. And by uh, keeping on drinking and drinking, uh, not realizing I'd get worse, I, I would get worse. So in my 20s and 30s, things were, things were pretty... I, I was uh, the big book explains the type three hard drinker where uh you know uh, maybe we can stop for a major life event uh a child being born uh for me it was the stern warning of a doctor that at age uh 35 or 37 or so the doctor says uh, uh my liver enzymes are escalating or are uh, elevated and i really scared the, the heck out of me so i I made a plan to stop drinking, and uh, and I was able to stop. My plan was to stop for a hundred days. The hundredth day was on my dad's uh, uh, was going to be my dad's birthday. He had already passed uh, from alcoholism, and uh, so it's kind of funny. We got Super Bowl coming up. Uh, I did know about AA. I was not uh, doing anything spiritual or, or uh, fortifying that sobriety. And there was a Super Bowl party, and I had a couple of beers. And you know, uh, then uh, you know, by about a week or two later, it was a twelve pack a day, and, and then it escalated, and, and it came back just harder, and and you know, just worse and harder. And I knew nothing about um, how alcoholism works. Now, by that point, I was already thinking. I already knew I'm drinking too much because I used to compare myself to the medical forms. You know, how many drinks do you have per day? I have none. I have one or two. I have between three and five, or I have more than three and five. And I always tried to stay at that, that three and five. But, you know, even when I poured glasses this tall, that three and five still didn't work. Well, it, it started to get to be so bad. I started waking up in the morning wondering if this is the day I'm going to die. Because at around age 45, um, it, it felt like it was the end. Uh, all my life, I've been very concerned about my mortality. You know, when I was, when you're young, they say, don't worry about it. You, you know, you're, you've got a long life ahead of you. And in my mid-30s and 40s, you know, I don't have that long life ahead of me. I started getting really concerned. Um, so I'm going to the store, and I'm looking at the expiration dates on the food at the store, and I'm wondering if I'm going to outlive those dates. I'm wondering if I'm going to outlive my 97-year-old grandfather, my 15-year-old Labrador, and, uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> I got a new phone, and it's, facial, it's a facial recognition thing, and uh, I'm so sorry. Okay, so... I'm at the point where I need alcohol as much as I need oxygen to live. I started waking up with the shakes. 
And then I said to myself, I'm, I'm just effed. I'm totally screwed. Uh, I still tried to manage my alcoholism another half a year to a year. And then it became, uh, the year was 2018. In 2018, the car crashes started happening. <clears throat> In January, I was the middle car of a three-car pileup. Uh, I did not stop in time for the car in front of me, thus the car behind me got me, and I was disguising my drinking by putting my vodka in water bottles, and I had a full bottle with me, and I remember being against that freeway border and emptying the alcohol and squashing the bottle and making sure it sat perfectly underneath my car. Um, another, so I, I live in, uh, where I live, I need to head east about an hour. Uh, there was another time about a month later, I ended up an hour south, uh, not realizing I'm going the wrong direction. On another event, I made it to work. I made it to the work parking lot. I was not uh, well enough to work that day. And because my family, we all have a, a Life 360 and they can track me, I had to sleep in the car. So they thought I was working all day. And it was just miserable, miserable, miserable. And then the, the thought came to mind. I, I I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And yet I was still too proud because I still had a house. I still barely had a family. I still barely had a job and, and so on. And uh, the thought came to me. Now, I'd been agnostic all, uh, pretty much coming into the program, just desperately seeking for proof of something, some entity that will take care of me after I die. And uh, so that thought came to me magically. I, I got myself into uh, into rehab, and rehab was great about teaching me the prefrontal cortex stuff and all that. But what I got out of rehab was that I can live and breathe again without alcohol. I can be myself. I can laugh and, and just enjoy life again. And then when I get out, I got in real tight with these guys, sick, lame, and lazy. Uh, I just I try to be of service as much as I can, not just because it gets me to the meeting, uh, like commitments, but it. I really enjoy helping others. That really, really makes my day. Is you know a, a telephone call to another AA, um, even helping out a neighbor, uh, somebody coming out of the store that needs maybe their their uh, sodas put in their car. I'm always looking for ways. The, the the my life gets better and better the more I help others. And uh, today, thanks to the program, I live a very peaceful life, especially in my head. I'm fine with having nothing to do. I can think of you know what i can do to help another alcoholic or something that i can do to be of service to my family uh today i can watch uh, hallmark movies with my wife <laughs> in the living room and i because i realize it's it's all about spending time together it's not about me enjoying what's going on on the tv it's about just hanging out even if nothing's said and uh, last explanation uh not too coincidental, but I decided earlier this this uh, holiday season, I, I love this hat, it's very warm, but I call it my gratitude hat, because some people, a lot of people notice, hey, it's not Christmas anymore. I realize after the holiday season, I wake up every morning with a gift. The first gift is being able to slip in, sleep in my own bed. 
because I'm speaking to you from my garage, which uh, used to be my bachelor pad with a four inch thick futon mattress. This big refrigerator was not there. I got a 13 inch TV uh, in the corner. Uh, it's not insulated. It's very cold. Um, yet I had a, like a 24 pack of canned soup and uh, I ate those and I did my bathroom business out the side door, just totally evading the family and just thinking back, it's so much not a way to live, and I'm so grateful. I'm just grateful I don't have to live that way anymore. So as long as the weather is going to stay cool and I can wear this hat, this is my gratitude hat. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for having all my five senses and to be able to walk. And, you know, I can see these beautiful things on the earth and feel nature around me. Um, I firmly believe my higher power and God is in all living things surrounding me, which is just wonderful because if ever I'm feeling a little down, I just go into my garden and I just feel, I feel him, I feel everything. So my timer went off quite a few times. I know I've got over, but uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful life. I thank you all for being here and letting me part of your meeting uh, this morning. So thank you all. All right. Thank you, Eric. Great share, man. Um,